Have you ever used the app Nextdoor? Yeah, even though I don't have any neighbors. Today's top thread was uh, your neighbors that live across the street. Why are they always parking their cars in front of your home? Let's see, well, I was going to see what the top one is on, on mine. Uh, missing kayak. Wait, do you have a lot of water where you live? We had, we had a ton of rain and uh, apparently uh, the kayak must have taken flight, I guess. Well, you know, sometimes kayaks want to be free. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode 86 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. Hello, Reed. How's it going? Pretty good. Another week, another episode. Thank you all for the support uh, and connecting online and, and all the feedback that we've gotten. I appreciate that. We do want to continue to push and ask, if you would, uh, to take our listener survey. You can find that on our website over at touchpoint.health. Uh, when you do that, you may also notice that uh, the website looks a little bit different. Yeah, we rebranded ourselves, Reed. For those who have been to the website, we'll know that there are other shows uh, that we have. And so if you didn't know that, we encourage you to go over to touchpoint.health and check that out. And then also uh, rate, review, subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast. That is super helpful. That's right. You know, the other day I was searching through TuneIn on my Alexa device, and you can hear us on your Alexa device. So there's a lot of ways where you can actually listen to us, Reed. Who knew? Well, certainly I did not think this uh, 86 episodes ago, but one of the reasons we're still doing it is because of our sponsors. That's right. And why don't we talk a little bit about one of our sponsors? That is our good friends at Loyal. You know, healthcare is complicated which is why Loyal is dedicated to helping health systems simplify the complexities through a smart, consumer-first technology solution that's designed to inspire loyalty. That's right. Whatever your business goals, Loyal's platform enables you to empower, guide, and connect with your data in order to deliver a simply smarter digital patient experience. So here's the thing. If some of you are heading out to Seattle for Shishmed, Be sure to stop by their booth, which is number 222, to schedule a demo and check out Loyal's newest product features. That's booth 222 at Shishmed. That's right. If you're not, if you can't make it out to Seattle, no problem. Uh, They've got you covered. You can head over to their website, loyalhealth.com forward slash demo, loyalhealth.com forward slash demo, and schedule a time for you to get a little personal attention and check out all the new stuff that they've got going. uh, What are we talking about today? So the genesis of this topic uh, started in the last healthcare conference I was at. I think that was the forum back in Salt Lake City. You and I were there. Yes. And I was in one of the sessions where they were talking about CRMs and someone started off with this kind of like anecdote that I've heard for the last 10 years in many CRM presentations, which is my vet can text me appointment reminders and treatments for what my dog needs to do. Why can't hospitals do this too? Now, when I heard that, I nearly flipped the table over and just left the room. But 
Uh, <laughs> I kind of contain myself a little bit because, I mean, this is a question, right, that's often asked. And what is that speaking to for you? I mean, I get it. I, you know, we're driven by convenience, efficiency, things like that in our lives, right? I mean, I've given up at least seven times this week because I didn't want to wait for the PDF to download. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're at this place in our lives where, you know, we can't drive four or five hours in the car without kids watching movies and playing games and stuff like that. Now I sound like my dad, you know, like, you know, when I, when I was your age, you know, we just had to stare out the window. You know, it's like one of my friends said one time, he was like, you know, boredom is a life skill and you need to learn how to, how to do that. So. Exactly. But the idea, though, is, is around convenience and efficiencies, right? And so it's like, you know, we don't want to talk to people. We don't want to do things. You know, we want everything to happen through this little computer we carry around in our pocket. And that's how we converse with people typically is through text messages. So, I mean, I, I get the motivation. It's more than just convenience to read. What it is, it's actually providing proactive ways and helpful ways for people when they're engaging with making decisions around care in one case for a dog, but in another case for your mother or whatever, it's really about proactive ways to help make those choices, right? And because healthcare is confusing enough. And in healthcare and hospitals, there's a number of people that are dedicated to this, and they call that decision support. Have you heard that term before? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that we have people supporting decision-making, because, I mean, that's really what we're talking about, right, is the idea that, you know what, this is very complex, life or death, and that's not tongue-in-cheek. I mean, a lot of times it is. And so we need people to help guide and make decisions because a lot of the times um, that we're going through this, it's the first and maybe only time you'll go through this as a patient. Otherwise, uh, you know, as a clinician, maybe a staff member, you may have been through this before, but you also, you know, having decision support guidelines helps you to make those decisions much better, much quicker, much more efficient. You know, I went out to healthit.org to get a definition about decision support. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting, they actually put an adjective at the beginning of it, which they called it clinical decision support, or abbreviated CDS. And they say that clinical decision support provides clinicians, staff, patients, and other individuals with knowledge and person-specific information intelligently filtered or presented at appropriate times information to enhance health and health care. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of people with a lot of uh, responsibility, I guess I should say. And it's not specifically a person. Right. It's multiple people. It's the clinicians, the staff, and the patients, which I found to be interesting. And in some cases, other individuals too, right? That's interesting because I think you can make an argument that everybody within the hospital plays a role in decision support at some point. I would agree with you on that. I think that that's the intent at least, right? I, I think that maybe some people in the hospital, perhaps, you know, the the environmental services people or the people parking cars in the valet, they may not think that. But when it comes to clinical decision support, though, I, the intention here, Reed, is to ensure that there's an increased quality of care. There's enhanced health outcomes, there's avoidance of errors and adverse events, and really improved efficiency, cost benefit, and provider and patient satisfaction. And I think it's interesting to think that, you know, really the 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 metric of the KPI here is not just patient satisfaction, but also provider satisfaction. And you could probably also put in there employee satisfaction, 
you know, because again, efficiency, um, avoidance of errors, adverse events, like no, no one wants any of that stuff. And so I think that's an interesting metric. And I think that metric obviously plays into a number of different things uh, relative to culture. But obviously, as far as quality and clinical outcomes are concerned, that's an interesting one to look at. Recently, uh, over the last 10 years, clinical decision support has moved increasingly online with the adoption of uh, EMRs, electronic medical records, and patient portals and things like that. Those are all designed to help with clinical decision support. And then conversely, or maybe not conversely, but in another angle, there's a number of tools, digital tools that are being developed to help educate and, and inform physician, your physician audience, to ensure that they're engaged and they get the right information at the right time. And then also the support staff. And like you said, like employees, et cetera, everything's going online. It's just like everything else that we're doing. So some of the tools, it's interesting when I was reading through this, because I'm not too familiar with clinical decision support. No, me neither. Some of the tools, though, that they use are things like this. Computerized alerts and reminders to care providers and their patients. That's your text messaging, I think, right? Yeah, it could be. It could be stuff simply, I guess, on the unit. Uh, reminders for, for providers, especially. Or maybe your patient portal notifications, you know, that sort of thing. Clinical guidelines and workflows. And I think really closely about, you know, setting up the, the workflows and care pathways within Epic. It's a big topic when I talk to providers, right? They want to ensure that their workflows are set up the right way. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, because again, we're talking about evidence-based medicine in, in most cases. So people want, you know, the proven guidelines. So yeah, makes sense. Not only guidelines on the condition-specific order sets, but I've even talked to some physicians lately about how do we include pre-registration forms through Epic so to make it much easier so that they can kind of minimize that workflow, right? So they could get everything to the patient and make that that a seamless experience, which I think is kind of exciting. Does that get us down a path of like, so like, is this where AI and machine learning and some of that stuff comes in as well? Well, I could certainly could do that, right? It, with EMRs, they're being very safe and they're erring on the side of, of, of conservative approaches uh, and evidence-based approaches. But I certainly can see that in some cases, yeah, you can apply machine learning. You can apply some predictive modeling within your workflows. They also have things like, you know, reporting and summaries. So, you know, if you're trying to measure out how your clinic is performing and even, you know, capacities within your certain ERs, we're doing it at our health system where we kind of have a centralized data center where you could actually see real time and use predictive modeling to determine if you're going to have a shortage in staff at certain areas so you can move staff from one area to another. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I think, you know, technologies allows us to uh, extend or strengthen that, right? I mean, we've done some of that historically, I'm sure. Well, we know on the weekends, X, Y, or Z. We know on you know, holidays that this happens or that happens. or So this is, I guess, obviously a way to better trend or take some of those assumptions or kind of offhand knowledge and put that in a way that, you know, people can actually make real data-driven decisions off of utilization and et cetera. CMS actually define clinical decision support tools as any and all those things that you can use from a health IT perspective, systems, workflows, even processes, to deliver A, the right information, evidence-based guidance, response to the critical need, to the right people, the entire care team, including the patient, 
through the right channels, like the EHR, mobile devices, or patient portals, in the right intervention formula, through order sets, flow sheets, dashboards, patient lists, at the right points in the workflow for decision-making and action. So think about that. Delivering the right information to the right people through the right channel at the right time. What does that sound like to you? <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? No, I mean, I, I get it. I understand what they're talking about. And I think, too, I, I see a lot of key pieces here as it relates to like the Baldrige Quality Award. Again, there becomes this blurring of the line between quality and marketing, marketing and ITNS, uh, ITNS in, in clinical, right? I mean, we talked to John Mason, uh, oh gosh, it's been a few months ago now, but you know, talking about the evolution of the CIO where they used to really just be concerned with with payment. How are we sending and receiving money, basically, the business office? And the CIO is now probably more involved in the clinical side of the house because of all the connected devices. And so if I continue to look at this, I continue to see that, not that we weren't all on the same team, but now we don't really have a choice. I think we're all trying to accomplish the same things. Now, what's interesting to me, you know, when I look at what we do in marketing, and what we do in digital marketing specifically, we're also doing, to a certain extent, decision support. I think we're just targeting a different part of the user journey. Sometimes what we're doing is we're targeting people that are maybe potential patients or potential customers, but also existing patients, to, to have a better, more productive online experience and giving them the tools to help them make the right decisions about care. Or even customers that aren't patients. It may or may not ever become patients, but they may become caretakers, right? Or use our organization in a very different way. Uh, and so some of that could be philanthropy, obviously, if you if you have the foundation component or whatever it may be. So I think it, it would be important for us to, as healthcare marketers, to maybe claim a stake in the ground here and say that it's not just clinical decision support. We're in charge of some kind of decision support as well. Consumer decision support. Can we just make something up now so we can claim yeah. that we came up with it? Because this will be documented as an audio file. So that's got to hold up somewhere, right? But we also have to buy the URL, I think, right? And then we're good? Yeah, but this hasn't come out yet. So we can buy it after we get okay, good. recording. <laughs> Consumer decision support. That's not bad. It has the same acronym, CDS, but we do that all the time in healthcare. I think that might work. Well, we could use like the little O or something like C, little O. CODs. I like it. I like it. CODs. <laughs> <laughs> we digress. But let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you and I have been involved in, Reed, that maybe can also be categorized as, quote unquote, decision support. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the first things I think about is the Find a Doctor tool. Every hospital website has that, right? To varying degrees, sure. It may just be a list of physicians or something like that. Uh, some of them obviously take that a step further, and it's a more sophisticated way to locate a physician that may be a good match for you that includes then additional calls to action like appointment setting or you know something like that. And that sounds to me like a really good online decision support tool for our customers. So that fits in our CODs concept, right? Yeah. What's another one that we do? Well, I think just, again, back to this idea of putting, you know, the right thing in front of the right person at the right time is, you know, how we deliver content 
So this could be the architecture in which you know your web properties are built, or could be, I, I guess, a way you deliver content specifically, so through blogs and videos and things like that. Like a content marketing approach, like this piece of content will give you a certain amount of information, and if they want to take the next step in action, here's that next step that they could take. Yeah. You know, I would even say that doing targeted advertising, you know, targeting people about what they search. So they're typing in a keyword while you're rendering up an ad that'll lead them to a place that's going to make it much more easier for them to find out that information that they need about, you know, to help make, make a care decision. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we mentioned obviously content marketing and kind of, you know, website architecture and things like that. And when you talk about social media, it's probably more than that, or I know it's more than that. So if you start thinking along the lines of, uh, online support groups. You know, we've talked about that here in recent episodes, even, uh, but just online communities and things like that that you might manage. That you know, their very definition is to support. There's a lot of decisions that people have to make through, you know, especially you know, chronic illnesses and things like that. And so, I, this is not a single point of decision, right? That's a really good example. And that's and and again, you know, they're part of this online support group. And they're giving information to help them make a decision, ultimately. And, and hopefully, you have your nurses or, or someone from, you know, a doctor participating to help guide them when they're ready to make that choice. I also think about, like, marketing automation. You set up a workflow. If they go here, you give them this. And if they do this, then you, you know, send them here. And then ultimately, what you're doing is you're trying to get them closer towards making that care decision. So when they're ready to make that that choice, they can easily pick up the phone or make that online appointment or whatever it might be. You know, one that's been around for a really long time and used to varying degrees of success would be like call centers. That's evolved into obviously, maybe not evolved, but in parallel or complementary is kind of that AI chatbot world. So you could exist only in the chatbot or it could be more of the chatbot handing off to real people. But in any case, a way to you know engage folks, support them in a decision that they're trying to make, whether that's making an appointment, finding certain information, paying their bill, whatever that may be. I would say that arguably you could talk about personalization this way. You, I mean, there's so many things and we're, we've been focusing a lot on digital stuff, Read this. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's not digital that we do from a marketing and comms perspective. Is there? Do we? <laughs> well, well, at least our intent is to do that, right? <laughs> For media relations, you may want to get an expert on the, the local news station to talk about the fact that you need early flu shots this year. That's what the CDC is recommending. Are we pro-flu shots? Have we talked about this? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. But yeah, so I mean, I think there is obviously the earned media or the public relations piece of the equation. There's the traditional marketing piece. Uh, there are the community seminars, even putting experts in front of uh, and going and speaking at maybe local employers, for example, or the school district or whatever it may be. So yeah, there's there's lots of components there. So I think there's something to this, Reed, this consumer decision support concept that we're kind of building. And I think if we haven't reserved the URL, we better go do that right now. But it's interesting that clinical decision support and us in marketing and comms, I don't think we spend a lot of time talking to one another, but in very many cases, we could help to support you know each other. The clinical decision support is predominant, not always, I guess, and I'm speaking out of turn because obviously I'm not clinical, but 
I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. A lot of that's happening on site, you know, in, in the hospital uh, or clinic or whatever it may be. Not that there's not follow up, not that there's not telemedicine and, and you know some of those types of things, but um, a lot of times before and after that, just like from an experience standpoint, we talk about you know the digital front door, like we talked about, and some things like that. Well, in this case. What are we doing before? What are we doing after to support the clinical piece? And it's all part of the same, you know, paradigm or the same continuum of care. If we could insert good marketing tactics into the clinical decision support, we might be able to not only help make that patient experience better, but hey, we might even be able to keep that patient around and make them loyal and and ultimately make it a profitable engagement for the health system too. Absolutely. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. That leads us to something that in the interview a little bit later on today, we're going to be hearing from uh, Shatal Shah, who's from Symphony RM. And he mentioned something, a concept that's called the next based action. Have you ever heard of that? The NBA. The NBA. It's my favorite league. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Actually, it is abbreviated. The NBA. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Uh, what What is up with us in three letter acronyms? I don't know. Next-based action marketing is actually a concept that's been around in many different industries. In the interview a little bit, you'll hear about how he's applying it and working with hospitals uh, to apply it in their in their workflow. But let's talk a little bit about what that is, the MBA. I went out to uh, Wikipedia and, and looked into next-best action marketing and got a good definition here. The next-based action marketing is a customer-based or a customer-centric marketing approach that considers the different actions that can be taken for a specific customer and decides on the best one and then offers that to them. Don't we do that in marketing meetings? We just come up with it and that's the one we offer. We're like, this is the next best one for them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the only one we know how to do. So we're going to offer this one. So the, the next best action uh, offer, proposition, service, whatever it may be, is determined by the customer's interest and needs uh, on the one hand and the marketing organization's business objections, policies, et cetera, on the other. So it's based on what the customer wants and what their needs are. And then it's also based on the fact that it's the best one for the, for the company. Do you think we do that pretty well? Do we think we understand that? Probably in some areas better than others. I think that when you're talking about using like a CRM or maybe trying to get in some other data where you start to just try to track what your customer's interests, their needs are, even their preferences, then we start to get a little bit better. But in many cases, we're just siding on what the marketing organization's business objectives are. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's 
what we think is a good idea and how we want to structure stuff. I mean, you know, it's not that we haven't done focus groups and, you know, some of that kind of stuff, I guess, and gotten information, but I don't know that we do that necessarily like each and every time we drive a certain call to action. Yeah. Or maybe we use assumptions to drive what that next call to action would be. Sure. With next best action marketing, it actually is, it's structured around a decision hub that's some kind of technology or some kind of research or some kind of data that leverages logic combined with predictive and adaptive decision models, typically AI, to help determine how to approach a customer prior to, as well as during an interaction. You know, like we were talking at the top of the episode that Loyal does is a great example of that. Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, again, prior as well as during an interaction. And I would argue probably post-interaction as well. Because again, uh, there's there's maybe some different iterations to this. So it also takes into account each customer's expectations, uh, propensities, likely behavior, you know, through the use of predictive modeling. So now now we're we're also throwing in what we think they're going to do. So we're playing this whole scenario out in our heads, right? Uh, well, maybe in a, in a computer, in this case, probably using a computer model, but in many oh, cases, right. we are using, you know, our own heads. Uh, computers. It's just for word processing, right? <laughs> cool. Okay. The NBA. Who knew? The NBA. You thought it was your best, your favorite um, basketball team. That's right. No. It yeah. also can predict customers' behavior. And everything that we've been talking about here. One of the things prevalent is that more and more the role of the patient or the consumer is taking kind of the lead or is, or at least is being an influential part of the decision-making. And so I thought that maybe we can, we can wrap up this conversation a little bit by talking about some of the challenges of allowing patients to kind of help make those decisions. And I found an article that talks a little bit about another three-letter acronym called Shared Decision-Making or SDM. Share decision-making. Okay. That concept has been promoted as improving patient-centered care, specifically ensuring that decisions are made after careful consideration of the pros and cons of various care options and patients' underlying values, their preferences, and even, you know, patients that are actively involved in shared conversations with their clinicians. They found, though, that the more you get patients and their family members involved in the decision-making process, there are a couple of things that are a bit of a challenge. Now, again, this is clinical setting, Reed, but I think we could apply this to the work we do in marketing too. So the first one, it says, patient involvement in decision-making varied dependent on the type of decision being made in care. And so some of the studies showed that for the simple care, getting a flu shot, managing a very simple care encounter, Many times patients like to take control of that or feel like they're in the lead of that and make those decisions. But when it comes to things like oncology or, or you know, something that's a little bit more complex where they're not really comfortable with uh, all of the different potential care decisions that are out there, the patient tends to play more of a supportive role in the decision making. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, it absolutely does. Because, I mean, we all think we know better. So you get into some of these and whether it's wives tells or whatever it may be, people think they know how to treat allergies better. They know how, uh, oh, you don't, you don't need to go to the doctor for that. 
you know, kind of scenario, right? And so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're going to be involved in that decision-making process 50-50 or even, even more kind of driving that because you can just choose not to fill a prescription, for example. Now, you get up in the chronic illnesses and, and disease states and, and like surgery, for example, like you can't, if the doctor says, here's how we're going to do this. Well, there's a good chance that it's like once you decide to have this particular surgery, like you're out cold. Like, what are you going to do during the surgery? Another study found that in cases where decision control could not be delegated to one person, like either the patient or the clinician, and they gave an example of such as decisions about self-management, decisions about personal care, maybe even habit or lifestyle changes that occur outside of the care setting that oftentimes decisions were left unmade. Left unmade. That's interesting. So then I mean, what happens? It's kind of a gray area. No one's really properly addressing it. No one has responsibility for it. And so then what, what happens? So let's say, for example, you get discharged, you have a heart attack, and your doctor says you have to eat less salt, and you have to, you know, this or that. And then you, you go through your life, and you may also drink a lot of beer. But if the doctor didn't specifically tell you don't have any beer – and you're like a patient, maybe you're just like not making the decision in that case because that <laughs> yeah. responsibility wasn't clearly defined. Like, don't ask because I don't want to know the answer, you know, kind of right. a thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what those decisions are, then it's hard to help solve those. So oftentimes they're left unmade. Here's another thing that they found shared decision making or SDM may be better achieved by a shift in the content of conversations to focus on explicit decisions about things that may or may not always appear to require a decision. So this stuff just does not require a decision. It's just taken as fact. Really to, to talk about things that, that don't seem to be a decision and actually change the language to call them out to be a specific decision. Instead of saying, well, you may want to lose weight after you had a heart attack, you turn it to you should lose weight and you should go to a gym. Like you should lose 20 pounds versus exactly. what do you think about losing weight? And that tends to make the, the care delivery that much more efficient. Now let's try to envision what that looks like from our perspective. If we flip this over to the marketing side of the fence, oftentimes when people are like looking for a doctor through a find a doctor search tool, there may be some things that are really important for them to know, but we're not directing them to that. So what about like having a find a doctor tool, which says ensuring that your doctor is covered by your insurance is very important. Why don't you make the decision to choose insurance as one of your search criteria? Yeah. Or even just force them down that path. So when you go into, you know, I want to find a physician, you ask them three questions. One of which is, you know, are you insured? If so, by who, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. Now there's always the chance that like somebody's just looking for somebody's phone number. So, I mean, I get that. Like they're already their patient, you know, so that is interesting. Instead of having stuff in the periphery, like there's all these things you could choose, you know, is actually forcing them down that path. And not assuming that the patient or the online customer or whatever knows what the next action is. Sometimes you have to be more explicit about it, right? Sometimes you have to ensure that you're making it much easier. And if it's really complex, you have to enforce more rules in that in that process as a marketer to make it that much more efficient, right? Absolutely. 
This whole concept about shared decision-making is really fascinating to me. And um, we're going to put in a link in the show notes to Dartmouth-Hitchcock. They have a good online resource for shared decision-making. It's a variety of different you know, tools that are there for the nurses, for physicians, and even for the, the patients themselves. And they put it out there plainly on their website. So I'm gonna, we're going to link to that in the show notes. To me, I think that is such a natural lift for us in the digital marketing world where we can actually be that transparent with our uh, tools as well. We could say, we've designed this find a doctor tool to be this way, or we've defined our site. We could start to share similar tools around shared decision-making and make it a little bit more transparent to the patient or to the user. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about transparency and what that means to folks. And so I think, so instead of just asking those questions, it's, you know, why are we doing this and why is this important? I I guess I, you know, do people care or they just want it to work quickly and they don't particularly care. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole read when I looked into this because there is a link out there for something called Ask Me 3. Have you ever heard about this? No. uh Uh-uh. The Institute for Healthcare Improvement.org or IHI.org. It's an educational program that encourages patients and families to ask three specific questions of their providers to better understand their health condition and what they need to do to stay healthy. I like that. It's short to the point. You don't get lost in the details. It's intended to help them uh, and improve communications between patients, families, and healthcare professionals. When I read these three, I'm like, wow we should be asking this of every marketing and communications effort that we do. The first one is, what is my main problem? Yeah. What do I need to do is the second one. Okay. And then why is it important for me to do this? So what would that look like for marketing? Like when you're starting to search, right? Maybe you're typing in a search on a website. Maybe the the website can come back using some assisted or artificial intelligence or assisted search and it says, what are, you, what are you trying to search for? I, I noticed that you're searching for a doctor's name. Are you trying to make an appointment? Are you trying to do this? Are you trying to, and kind of guiding them down that pathway. And then the second question, what do I need to do? Well, um, looks like you're trying to make an appointment. In order to make an appointment, some of our doctors do appointments online. Others, uh, you have to call the clinic directly. When you look at a listing, here are the things that you want to look out for. We can even ask it of people asking stuff of marketing. <laughs> Why are you asking me this? Why do you think we need to do it? And what happens if I don't? No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Because again, it drives back to that idea, especially from a consumer standpoint, of getting to the outcome versus all this random stuff we have on our websites. Because, you know, people don't come to our websites for fun. They're there for a reason. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. 
Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website, but, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Touch point, touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready, fight! I was thinking since we've been talking about decision support, I was thinking about this controversial topic and would interested to hear what your thoughts are on this. What do you think about the concept of we should just completely automate everything and take all decisions out of the consumers of the patient's hands. They'll never have to make a decision again. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That'd be a dream. We should do that, most definitely. And the consumer would thank us for it. They, they want to sort through all this stuff. I'm talking about the 80%. So you got the 10% at the bottom, 10% at the top. But that middle 80%, they just would rather the experts just handle it. And I don't need to know. It's that whole you know adage of like, I don't. I just want to know what time it is. I don't need to know how the clock's made. It's the same deal. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that saying before. However, the problem is, Reed, every clock is built differently. That means every patient is built a little bit differently. If only we were, as patients, as even consumers, following very logical, simple steps that we could actually automate. I think it's virtually impossible to automate everything. And I think that by doing so, you're going to get yourselves into very dangerous territory. I mean, if you present with a heart attack, you follow this care pathway and you don't have any input. I, I guess you could build iterations on it. But if they come to your website and they start searching for a doctor, you're just going to send them right just to doctors. There's no way you can automate everything. Sure you can. I mean, that's what evidence-based medicine is, right? We're just automating what we already know. Don't you think? That's assuming that the artificial intelligence, which is automating all of this, right? The machine learning is at the level where it can. I don't think we can do that. And I think if we do, we're going to start going down that dangerous territory of the robots know more about us than we do. Then what? what's our role? And, and how do you deal with those nuances? How do you deal with those complexities that may not appear in that automation? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, they're not really going to take over. I mean, we might as well simplify things. Who wants to make all these decisions? Like somebody needs to tell us, here's how this goes. Here's how this works. We got it. Again, sure, all the clocks are made differently, but they all tell the same time. Uh, I get your point. I I am all about simplicity and usability and a better experience. And I think that there are certain points of the flow that you can certainly automate. But I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where we can completely automate everything. Because quite frankly, a lot of the decisions that are made are, uh, have to be done on the fly in real time. And I don't think we're going to have tools and systems in place to be able to do that. Yeah, probably so. And two, the expectations are different. So, you know, the outcomes may be the same, but the expectations are probably different, even if the outcomes are the same. So there's, there's no real way to automate the whole thing, I guess. Well, at least not in our lifetimes. But of course, you know, when the millennials start using healthcare, <laughs> they want it all automated anyway. That's right. So <laughs> here's the millennial dig.
All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of our podcast. And today, I am talking with an, a gentleman that I just recently met. However, I think from his background and experience, he has a lot, of, lot to bring to the table around our conversation. And he's doing some exciting things. And that's Shatal Shah, and he's with Symphony RM. Shatal, welcome to our podcast. Uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Many of our listeners may not know who you are. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourself? I uh, run uh, our sales and marketing arm at at, at Symphony RM. Uh, it's a Silicon Valley-based startup. Prior to joining uh, Symphony RM, I had spent 10-plus years in consulting, uh, really focused in on supporting providers and payers build out digital healthcare solutions, be it on the consumer side or in their workplace. I took an opportunity here to join Symphony RM to really take that to sort of the next level. And when you go out to symphonyrm.com, you, uh, you see that you, you guys say you're the healthcare's only CRM f- focused on next best actions. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Because first of all, when we say CRM to many people in our audience, that can mean different things. So let's start with that first. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts around what CRM is and how does it apply in healthcare? You know, if we go back, CRM has been around across a number of industries. It's in many cases, it's the best backbone of a lot of different industries sort of mechanism, how they engage their consumers, be it on the financial services side or retail, et cetera. They have a CRM that fundamentally engages who a consumer is when you interact with them, what value you are, what is the opportunity and the like. And it really then helps them communicate with the consumer. It helps them understand what products to bring to that consumer. Uh, It helps them engage across different channels. And so in healthcare, it's sort of become this concept of CRM has sort of come more into play as we start seeing the market forces around consumerism, patient engagement, and and really moving this concept of patient-centered healthcare to really consumer-centered healthcare. What I had seen in the past was that CRM sort of was a real second fiddle, uh, that we all thought that the EMR is going to be able to manage the consumer's journey. And what we're finding is we're just starting in healthcare to see the capabilities of what CRM can deliver. And, and so a lot of these early health systems that got into this space, it was expensive to roll out a CRM because they had to customize it for healthcare. In other industries, there's this concept of you got to build the consumer 360. So a lot of the effort that was spent in early CRM was, well, let's build the patient 360, right? But the reality is once you build it, what are you going to do with it? we're finding is that organizations are going to have to look at CRM differently. Uh, instead of taking the months and years to deploy, they got to think about how do we start delivering results with it? And how do we build out from there? You know, I always found it ironic that in many cases, CRM, and I've been working in CRM in hospitals and health systems for over 10 years now. And in many cases, it was really hard to prove the ROI of actually having a CRM because yes. a lot of times people would, would deploy one and only use it in a very limited sense, right? For right. Like segmentation, for like maybe propensity modeling and, and tracking some very high level marketing activities or maybe even like single point activities. Now organizations are, have this really big interest. Hospitals, health systems are talking about we want to build an enterprise CRM or we want to use this on an enterprise level and we want to embrace consumerism. I could imagine that causes a lot of challenges. It does. And in fact, the best strategy is to really start with a very uncomfortable set of conversations if you're thinking about CRM. It's what are the metrics we're trying to move? 
if we can start there, then we can really back into what are the features and the functions we really need to move those metrics. And those metrics may be patient acquisition, patient uh, retention, which is becoming a big thing now. It's not just about getting new patients in the door. It's, hey, how do we keep them healthy and well inside of our organization and build that relationship to driving provider side, right? We talk a lot about CRM, but we really forget about the provider. And so if you just kind of back into CRM starting, but you start with metrics, it really changes the conversation about, hey, what do we need CRM for? How are we going to build it? How are we going to deploy it? And the reality is in today's healthcare landscape, the market's changing. I mean, we've seen, uh, I think one of your podcasts called out some of the dynamics were changing in the market from employers going direct with a number of health systems. You're starting to see uh, direct primary care. You're seeing a lot of noise with the likes of Apple and Amazon and Berkshire Hathaway, JP Morgan Chase, et cetera. And it's going to be, I think, all of them. You know, I get, I still get that Amazon uh, alert when my kids' diapers are about to uh, run out and I didn't even know it. <laughs> um, and, and they're really managing that relationship, aren't they? You know, uh, hey, you should you should do this with your prime, you should buy this with your prime membership. They're getting into the healthcare. That means it's going to be a business about who owns the relationship and who really manages it. And that's what comes back to next best actions. Yeah. So let's talk about that next best action. Tell me a little bit about what that means exactly. Health systems are awash in data across any other industry. I think health systems have more data about an individual than anyone else out there. But we do little, very little with the data. Uh, there's little action. So EMRs are spitting out uh, and claims payer care gap files are spitting out lists. And our providers are burned out. And what we see with providers is they're getting lists pushed to them to go work, right? And taking more time away from patient-facing time. So what we're doing with our CRM is we're, in, we're looking across the swath of data out there. And our algorithms that we've built are trying to understand for every consumer, what are the next best actions? What are the three things that, you know, with Chris, if, I, if Chris were to call me today uh, to make an appointment, is there something else that we know that we need to do with him that we can offer it up? Or if Chris were to go to our website, or if he were to receive an email from us, or we're able to, we're checking into the front office of his primary care provider, what are the next best actions in our goal? is to identify it for any consumer, be it a patient that a health system actually has or one that they want to sort of build into their, uh, bring into their fold, is what are those NBAs? And how do we push it to the endpoint? For the people that are listening in, right, they're thinking, okay, NBAs, how would you even determine that? I mean, in the past, it's been like, well, from a propensity perspective, well, maybe they they have these comorbidities, and so they have a likelihood of maybe wanting this kind of service. But that's not what you're talking about here, is it? The, the key is, like, we have next best actions that exist today. They're just, they sit in, some in some cases, they sit in lists. And it's really hard to work. So, for instance, you know, I may have a a colorectal screening due. My uh, wife may have a breast cancer screening due. For another individual, it may be something like an annual wellness visit that's required. There are a lot of reasons that we want to get consumers to the door. And we have a lot of lists already about who we want to engage. But the reality is we can't just say, here's a list of 10,000 patients that we know we need to engage with. We got to prioritize it. We got to target it where there's capacity there's a number of different dynamic factors that need to come into play so that way we can score and value what NBAs are offered up. 
Um, and it could be uh, something as simple as, hey, this person seems to call into our call center a lot to schedule appointments. Maybe the next best action is we ask for their email address. So that way we can inform them of that we have this really cool self-service app that allows you to make appointments and communicate with your care provider. So the NBAs actually sit across a number of departments, before marketing, pop health, et cetera. And I think a lot of health systems or and people that actually run CRMs or do marketing or whatever, you know, they may have some intuition around what that next best action might be. In your perspective, how does how does one start to actually take those assumptions and actually quantify them? That's a great question because that's usually how we start an engagement with a health system. In fact, um, we actually go through discovery sessions and the best way to do it is actually sit and observe today. How do we engage consumers, be it the revenue cycle team that's engaging consumers that they call in with questions about their bill, or if it's the call center where appointments are being made, or if it's marketing, right? Doing the traditional, um, you know, targeting off of specific segments and engaging them to the pop health team or to go sit in the, in, in, in the office uh, at a practice location. Everyone's engaging consumers. The thing is that we're not doing is seeing we were all acting as one health system, what are all the things we're engaging consumers about? And if there was a way for us to build sort of that one health system view, and Chris was getting hit up from a health system 20 to 30 times a year from these various things, we just step back and we're to prioritize to one or two things. That's the conversation that gets interesting when you bring a marketer into a room, you bring a physician to a room, and you bring the CFO into the room. You get those folks together and then you start realizing, hey, what is the priority? And then more importantly, and this is... um a topic no one really likes to talk about, but what is the value? And the value could be, is, is, a, is a construct of financial value, uh, the value of catching up breast cancer early. Um, there's a number of different attributes that come into play. That's why starting with metrics is always an important fact. Right. Okay. So metrics, now you're, now you're rearing the ugly word. Um, or term to many people, there's there's not uh, an um, alignment around what those metrics are. Do you feel that when you work with your hospitals and health systems, are are you seeing some of the challenges around maybe getting people to agree marketing versus patient experience versus maybe population health? Every org unit has has a set of metrics. Uh, I think one thing that they don't realize is they're they're definitely interwoven. Sometimes it's it's about understanding the interconnected nature of metrics between different uh, organizational units inside of a health system. Other times it's thinking about metrics differently. For example, inside of call centers, you know, call centers, <laughs> I don't know about you, Chris, but I've started using a lot of the self-service tools with my health system, but I know that there's a significant amount of the population that still calls into a, into a health system through the, the phone. And we've gone through dozens of health systems. We're finding, for instance, in the call center, there are tens of thousands of calls coming in a week. And so the call centers are running on metrics like average handle time and call volume and call answer time and average hold time. And if, so if you ask a call center, what are your metrics? You get the traditional, you know, this is how we operate. These are our operational metrics. Then of the day, what are the metrics that matter? Well, it's actually what percentage of those patients did you get an appointment when they wanted to? How many of the times was it that they converted on a next best action when you offered it up? So we're changing the mindset of some of these organizations to think about what metrics they really need. 
to build a next generation health system. Like, what do you mean by that? If you look at marketing, uh, they look at conversion rates and you look at them on the digital side. It's really easy, right? They clicked on a link, they signed up, and we got them into an appointment. That's the traditional sort of uh, attribution modeling. You know, we, we drove this person in the door. Inside of the call center, I think, or the front office, uh, the practice, we are seeing marketing for the first time being able to actually, for instance, inject next best actions into a call center script to the conversation that a, a patient service representative or an access representative or a patient navigation rep is having with a consumer. And to be able to offer up, hey, it's flu season. Uh, while you're in there for your uh, acute visit, do you think you'd want to get your flu shot? It's utilizing that. So those are some metrics that are actually around cross-serve and up-serve are actually extremely interesting because then it, the consumer thinks, oh, you guys are thinking about me. You're, you're seeing what I actually need and offering it up versus me having to become a sort of just reacting. And that's there's a big shift there, Chris. I'm curious to know what you think about this. Well, you know, I hear that and I think, oh, whoa, we're suddenly taking a healthcare call center, which is typically just reactive, right? Um, I'm responding to the call. I'm going to place your call and get off the phone as quick as possible. Now you're actually adding uh, elements of, of the overall experience and really trying to serve them the right way. That's pretty sophisticated. I mean, and, and I would imagine that that's a little bit hard to do, isn't it? It is. But if you think about it, like, so if you think about a health system that is like, what, three, five hospitals, maybe a uh, hundred primary care providers, you know, typically they're probably seeing 10,000 calls a week, uh, if not more. 10,000 calls and you say for 10,000 calls that come in, maybe just 10% are served up an opportunity to take a, a next best action. That's a thousand next best actions that are uh, uh, that are offered up. Half of those convert. That's 500 appointments that could be generated by no means whatsoever other than the person calling in. So all of a sudden, you know, the call center has become gone from sort of that cost center, that sort of back office operation to our front line that they've generated 500 appointments for us this week. And those are appointments that hit an incentive from a care gap perspective, pop health perspective. Isn't the goal for us to be proactive now and, and actually reach out as we take on risk, right? As we move from fee for service to fee for value, we got to get proactive. We can't just wait for consumers to try to call us in. Is this going to continue to evolve? I, I, how sophisticated can our, our data get? We're just scratching the surface. I think as we start understanding, and, and that's one thing that we're trying to do at, at Symphony RM, it's, it's not about just pushing in NBAs that are prioritized and targeted, but it's understanding the propensity and some of the modeling. Like, What does it really take to change consumer behavior? And as we start looking at population health and the like, it's now, we, we kind of sort of been in that phase of now reporting. This is where this population, this segment is. Well, now it's going to be managing it. And actually driving wellness. And I think with the, the wash of data that we're getting from the clinical mindset, from consumer devices, now it's, well, how do we act on it? This is the fun time, right? Now we're getting into, we're getting actually data to drive and influence consumers in their health, in their wellness. And I can see this applying in much more than just the next best action occurring when they initially contact us. It could even be that we initiate the next best action proactively in front of them through whatever device they may have. Exactly, right? That's a great point. That's what we're trying to do across these different channels. It's it, These NBAs are, like to your point, they need to be proactively pushed to any medium that a consumer would be on at the right time with the right message 
at the right place to, to really, really uh, get to the, what we're trying to do, which is drive value. You know, when we talk to clients, we, we say the one thing you should come out of this conversation we're having is if you could have next best actions, where would they be, right? And what would you do with them? Because then the conversation is about how do we change our organization and how do we drive change? It's not just tech, but with next best actions, imagine the possibilities and how we change the way that we work. I'll direct people to the blog on your website. You have a really good kind of Q&A session with Dr. Kirsten Anderson about how uh, next best action in population health and how that can be applied. And I think that's a really good resource. I, I really enjoyed that article. So we'll put a link in the show notes for that. It was for people listening in that want to know a little bit more about you and Symphony RM, what's the best way for them to reach out to you, reach, you know, get a hold of you? The best way to reach out to us is just uh, just go on our website. Uh, we got our phone number. We got an email uh, listed there and just give us a shout. Uh, the one thing that we are really excited to do is we do discovery sessions uh, on our dime to really demonstrate what the what the possibility, what the value of NBAs are in a health system. But then we take it down to building a business case, right? And actually driving the conversation in terms of how do you want to engage consumers and what is the value behind it? How do we actually deploy it? And it, and, and the number one thing I say, it's not technology. We do some amazing things with tech these days, but you got to drive some change internally in the way that organizations work and the like. And that's that's the real work right there. And you'll see some of that in that article uh, that you just referenced. Yeah, absolutely. So that website is what? SymphonyRM.com, right? SymphonyRM.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. So that's great. Thank you so much for your time today, Chital. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Chris. Really enjoyed being on. All right, wrapping up episode 86 on uh, decision support, or maybe online decision support, or online consumer decision. Res- I don't know. Anyway, whatever we call that now for us. But <laughs> uh, good good conversations, good expert interview, um, some interesting stuff that we don't, we don't typically probably think about, or, or at least don't think about it in this way on a daily basis. I, it just reflects the fact that our lines are blurring as healthcare marketers and and that we're working with more and more areas of the business that are really focused on making sure that customer experience is that much more improved. All right. Before we get to recommendations, uh, again, a reminder that uh, Chris and I, along with uh, all the crew at Touchpoint Podcast, I'm not sure who else that is besides you and I, but we will all be at uh, the Atlas Conference. And uh, that's up in Boston, sponsored by Kairos. It's a patient access conference. Uh, and that is, what is that, October the 15th through the 17th, I believe. And, that is correct. Uh, we will be there. So if you're going to be there, we'd like to know that. We're going to do a series of recordings as well while we're there. So please let us know if you're going to be there. We'd love to connect with you. And um, I'm also going to be speaking on a panel, but that'll be great. And then after that... I guess almost exactly a month after that or so, uh, we've got a couple of other conferences coming up. One, the first one is the Healthcare Internet Conference out in Scottsdale. Scottsdale, Arizona. That's November 5th through the 7th. I'll be be participating in a pre-conference workshop, but Reed and I will be roaming the, the hollowed halls of the conference and also doing a podcast. 
Again, reach out to us if you want to be part of it and be part of our audience. We always love for you guys to be part of it. We just want to say hi to you all. And the following week, Reed, we're going to go all the way over to the other side of the country. Well, almost the other side of the country, which is Jacksonville, Florida, for the Mayo Clinic uh, Annual Social Media Conference. That's right. So that is uh, that is that next week, the 14th and 15th of November, Jacksonville, Florida, at the Mayo campus there. On the 13th, there is a pre-conference uh, kind of social media workshop that you might be interested in, but you can find out more about that at socialmedia.mayoclinic.org. All right. Uh, recommendations. What do, you, what do you have today? Well, Reed, uh, I am going to recommend a book I picked up a little while ago. That uh, is also made into a movie just this year. I was going through an airport and I saw this in one of the airport bookstores. And it's a book called Annihilation. Hmm. I thought, that's interesting. What a a title, right? I picked it up. It's a science fiction book. Uh, Really interesting book. Really small, kind of short read by a gentleman by the name of Jeff Vandermeer. It's about a future state where people are where there's like a certain area of, of the world where you can't really get to unless you go through a special little portal and people, this little team is sent through it to kind of figure out a little bit more about what happened. And when they go in it, they start to uncover things about themselves. The movie that came out this year and I haven't seen it, but it also stars Natalie Portman, Oscar Isaac is in it and what have you. It's really a fascinating story. It's one of these page turners. You know, I start reading it just because I wanted something to read on the plane. And I, I quickly read through the 200 odd pages that are in here. And it's just a great, great novel. And it's apparently one of three. So I'm going to have to pick up the other two. Good recommendation. I'm not a reader, but I'll take your word for it. Um <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right, so I'm going a little bit of a different direction, and I'm going to recommend uh, a coffee maker. So our coffee maker recently gave out. I bought a really cheap one to fill in. Uh, it was horrible. And uh, so anyway, I got a new coffee maker called the, uh, it's a Ninja. People have heard of Ninja. You know, they have the Ninja coffee bar. And there's a few different models of this. But wow, I had no idea how bad my coffee was until um, I got this. And so the great part about it is it lets you select a couple of different sizes. So if you want to make a full pot of coffee, maybe a half, just a half, half of a pot, uh, you can do just a cup or a travel mug size. Uh, and you can do all that. Uh, the best is it comes with its own measuring um, little spoon, if you will, for all those different sizes. And uh, yeah, you can do classic, you can do bold. Uh, there's a few different ways that you can brew it, and um, it's really good. I've been impressed with it. So, yeah, the Ninja Coffee Bar. Love the Ninja Coffee Bar. Mm-hmm. Love it. That's a good coffee. I have one, too. You didn't know that. So There you uh, go. Yeah, so there you go. Coffee and books. Sounds like a great afternoon. That's right. All right. Well, good episode. Uh, again, thanks, everybody. Please visit touchpoint.health for more about this show and others. Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you... Uh, are listening to this podcast take our listener survey on our website and we uh, look forward to connecting with you online so for chris boyer i'm reed smith we'll see you next week this has been a touchpoint media production to learn more about this show and others like it please visit us online at touchpoint.health